how far would you go to achieve your dreams? Success doesn't come without sacrifice. Today's guest understood that and spent the better part of 10 years struggling to make ends meet and working extreme hours to achieve success. While there was never any guarantee that he would ever succeed, he knew that he had to at least try and build his dream instead of building someone else's. This is the My Art is Real podcast, a narrative journey into the lives that shape art. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson, and this is episode 32, Rob Woodcox, right after the break. I want to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more artist stories and support this show. When I set out over a year ago to make this podcast, I knew it would be a lot of effort, but I continued anyways because I knew these stories needed to be shared. If you enjoy this show at all and want to see it succeed and grow, you can help. Send this podcast to anyone you know who might enjoy it. And if you decide you want to do more, go and sign up for our Patreon page. All the funds earned will go directly into making this show better. And let's not forget about all the extra content you will get when you sign up. Okay, time to get back to the episode. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Jacobs, for having me on the My Art is Real podcast. Uh, my name is Rob Woodcox. I am a surreal artist. I work with the mediums of photography and filmmaking. And I am from Detroit, Michigan in the United States. You know, now that I think about it, I believe Rob is the very first photographer I've ever had on this show. While some previous guests used to be photographers, none of them are anymore. So this is a pretty cool moment. Now today in 2023, Rob is a huge artist and has a massive following online. He's taught students all across the globe in 15 different countries. And he's even crafted a world all his own within his art style. But while Rob is killing it now, it wasn't always that way. Rob comes from humble beginnings, and at a young age, he was adopted by his own family. Being adopted into like an extension of my own family, it actually was kind of nicer because I think I still had a sense of what my family history was. I mean, it was definitely sad. You know, my, my birth mom struggled with, with intense drug addiction and developed bipolar and schizophrenia. Um, and my birth dad disappeared before I was even born. So when I think back on that, I just think, of course, it's, it's sad that, you know, my, my birth mom was raised in a society that didn't know how to handle her. Were our society to have better standards in, in dealing with mental health, there's a chance that I wouldn't have needed to be adopted. But at the end of the day, I, I do feel like I was rescued from what could have been a very dangerous scenario for a child. And at what point was it in your life that you had found out that you were adopted? Well, I feel really lucky, actually. My parents told me from a very young age that I was adopted. And you might laugh, but uh, they would always say that they chose me. Like they, they made me feel very special about being adopted, which I think every adoptive parent should do. Um, cause it was, it, it honestly never gave me any doubts about who I was or where I came from. And I, I remember when I was in second grade, I was sitting at the lunch table and the class bully came up to the table and was like, Hey Rob, I heard that you were adopted. I feel so sorry for you. That must be so sad. And I remember like, I wasn't really that witty of a kid or like, I didn't like, you know, messing with people. But I remember feeling so confident about that subject that I looked him square in the eyes and I said, you know what? My mom chose me and your mom is stuck with you. So I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I just remember being like 
so confident and so proud about specifically being adopted. Of course, my the rest of my life, I'm a huge advocate for adoption. You know, I think there's so many kids in this world that need love and need a home. For me, it's 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 something that I'll always be a big supporter of. After being adopted, Rob and his family would end up moving to the suburbs of Detroit, where he would then grow up. You know, what was life like for you growing up in Detroit? You know, I think the Midwest in general, but especially, you know, the suburbs of Detroit where I grew up, it's a great place for kids. I think it was very typical middle America, like, um, you know, a bunch of houses in a row, you know, down neatly organized streets. We had nice parks. You know, I'm really thankful that I grew up in an area that had really cool, like, forests and stuff nearby. While Rob's family didn't have a lot when he was growing up, they always made the most of things. They did their best to provide him with a loving childhood that helped him grow to be the creative he is today. You know, my family didn't have a lot. I grew up in a lower middle class, you know, with five kids family. So, you know, my parents definitely had, you know, worked really hard and uh, to provide for us. And But honestly, just the fact that we had a little bit of our own space, the fact that I that my parents had such a like, go outside and play until the sun goes down mentality. Like those details made my childhood really wonderful. You know, our family had its own challenges and everything, but I'm really thankful that I grew up in an environment that was sort of just calm and and quiet compared to like, you know, city life or or something like that. Because I just feel like I really got to use my imagination as a kid. And something I'm really proud of with my artwork is that I've maintained that imagination. I think I owe that to my parents. I think I owe that to the way that I was raised in that sort of like go outside and play environment. And and what stuff were you uh, getting into? Like, what'd you do for fun besides, you know, what were you doing outside and other things? Oh, my God. So I had lots of neighbors, like families with other kids my age. And so we would just we were like a gang like playing all all the time and we would do like flashlight tag at night and we would do like racing down the street on our bikes and or our scooters or whatever um i was never really super into sports um i really liked gardening as a kid you know i think i inherited that from my grandma she was always really good with plants um and i just remember being like 8 years old and begging my mom to let me go to the to the gardening convention <laughs> with my neighbor. <laughs> like what a funny like thing for an eight-year-old to be like super into. <laughs> but I just remember like when I was really little, like maybe five or six, my parents had like one little garden in the front yard just, you know, for show. And by the time I was like eight or nine years old, we probably had like eight gardens all over the house. You know, even as a little kid, I wanted to collect every type of perennial flower that I could find. I don't know if you know much about plants, but um, there's annuals and perennials. Annuals only live once and then they die every year and you have to just go buy new ones and replant them. But perennials, they come back every season. And so even as a kid, I was like, why would I want to replant these every year? Like, let's buy only perennials so we can have these like beautiful arranged gardens. So I was like this mastermind like with gardening as a kid. And I, my dream as a child was to be the master gardener at Disney World. 
He would also go on to express himself more creatively using toys like Legos and Kinects and would spend a lot of time building things. But at the time, what he ended up doing the most was just draw. I I think I always had a really big imagination. Um, when I was a kid, my favorite toys were like Legos and Kinects. I was always building these like cities and villages. And at a young age, I was drawing and painting as well. So I was always drawing in a sketch pad. I remember when I was nine or 10 years old, I won a little award to go take like six months of drawing classes at the Center for Creative Studies in Detroit, which is um, the big art school in Detroit. Um, and they would host it at the DIA, which is the Detroit Institute of Arts. So as a little kid, I was there in a museum, like drawing still lifes. And um, I had a, a really big fascination with maps, too. I don't know why. So at a young age, I thought I was also going to be like a cartographer of cities. <laughs> I had so many like little job interests when I was a kid because, you know, at, in especially in U.S. society, you're constantly asked as a kid, like, what do you, you want to be when you grow up? So I was always dreaming about that. While myself and a lot of artists turn to art as an escape from the world around us and find it hard to fit in, Rob was very outgoing. He describes himself as a nerd, but was always able to make friends in all the different types of social circles going on in school. I was pretty outgoing. I mean, I've always been a little on the nerdier side, but I think the social element, you know, got me by. I mean, even even in high school, like I was a band kid and I was in theater and everything. And, you know, those can stereotypically be considered like, I don't know, once again, like the nerdier stuff. But I was always so social that it didn't it didn't really affect me, I guess. And I remember like in my junior year, the leader of the POM squad asked me to be her partner for like the guy girl POM performance. And again, in, in stereotypical US culture, it would be like the cheerleader and the football player, but it was like me, a band kid. <laughs> like that got chosen to be like the lead of that performance. They always did this like guy girl. It was just like meant to be comical. And it was like the guys try to do like a dance performance with the cheerleaders or whatever. I'm really thankful that the school I went to, the, the schools, plural, that I went to were a little bit less stereotypical. I mean, I had friends in every group. I had sports friends. I had music friends i had uh student council friends you know and i i think i don't know if it was just me or if it was the places i was going but i definitely experienced something different than stereotypical u.s high school experience rob would then start working for the yearbook in high school which would be the start of his love for photography from that moment on he fell in love with the craft and knew in his heart that it was what he was meant to do no desire to be a lawyer or a doctor or to get a normal job. No, Rob wanted to make art. But like most parents, they weren't very on board with this idea. So he struck up a deal with them. This is crazy, but I had spent a whole year doing yearbook and learning how to use a camera. I wanted to be a photographer. It's crazy, but I knew right away. I knew, I'm, and I'm very lucky for this, but I knew at that very young age I, I knew I at least wanted to try to do photography. I didn't really know why. 
I didn't really, you know, in the context of our society that, like I was telling you, tells you to get a real job and tells you to be a lawyer or a doctor or something that's more practical. Amidst all of that noise, somehow I knew I wanted to create and my parents were not for it. So I made this deal with my parents. I was like, if I can find an affordable photography program, I'll go to basic courses for the first year of college because even for a creative degree, just like in high school, you have to take so many English and math and whatever classes. So I did the basic courses. After this, he then started looking for a school that he could attend that had a heavier focus on photography. And luckily enough, he had found one that was a perfect fit. Found a school out in Ann Arbor, which was only about 45 minutes from Detroit, where he was currently living. And let me tell you, this school sounds like a young photographer's dream. It was a school that had community college rates, but the school was sponsored by the camera company Canon. So they had all these state-of-the-art studios, uh, hundreds of cameras, and different light setups that you could just check out and use for free. So it was just absolutely amazing for him. And he was able to attend there without getting into any student debt. And all my art school friends were paying like 30 grand a semester and having to pay to check out equipment or buy their own. I was literally getting free access to equipment at this state-of-the-art school and only paying like $2,000 a semester to go there, like a fraction of the price. And so that was it. Like I, that, I found that in my second year of college, my parents agreed to it and they said, we'll, we'll, allow, we'll like give you our blessing basically. Finding this school was incredible, but it didn't mean the whole experience was going to be easy. Rob moved out around 17 or so and was paying his own way. His parents had saved up a little bit of college fund, but it was only about 6000 by the time all of his older siblings had gone off to school. So Rob was stuck still needing extra money to pay the bills. So not only was Rob going to school full-time, but he was working three jobs to try and stay afloat. I had three part-time jobs. I was working at the church. I was working at a pizza place at first, and I was working as a receptionist at a gym and going to school. So, you know, it was tough. It was, you know, I was always exhausted, but I, I, I knew that I wanted to be a photographer and I knew it was worth it. One of these jobs that Rob was working at was the church that he had attended. And this job would end up having a big impact on him because at this time, Rob was still finding himself and not sure what that would mean. Well, I grew up in a really conservative Christian environment. It's so bizarre thinking back now at, you know, as open and and free with my identity as I feel now. It's so interesting thinking back to when I was still in the closet and I was so sheltered, even from myself. Um, you know, I was raised with this very linear mentality, this very closed mentality that a lot of things, not just being gay or queer, but a lot of things were labeled as sin and you had to fight them internally or else you would go to hell, right? Like that was the whole mentality of, of religion that would force me into a little box um, with so many different things. And so it's so interesting because I don't feel like I was really suffering about it until about the last year before I came out, when I really started to realize like, wait, I have attraction to the same sex and 
I need to figure out, out what that means for me, right? And so it's kind of funny because I was working at my parents' church. I was volunteering, you know, in all these different capacities in underneath the umbrella of religion. And I was starting to feel this attraction towards men. And I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do in this situation because I have this responsibility with my job, you know, as this like children's pastor and everything. But the reality is like, this is who I am inside. And so I feel so, again, I just feel like my life has been full of these like guides and, and wonderful people that come step in at the right moments. And at just the right moment, two friends reached out to Rob and started to crack that door open for him to allow him to start coming to terms with how his religion would fit in with his life. I had two friends in the church who had a, a gay sister. It was interesting because I was already having this internal struggle. And then out of nowhere, these two friends of mine are like, Rob, what do you think about like homosexuality and Christianity? Because we don't agree with, you know, the church's rules and we think God loves everybody and our sister's gay. And, and we just want to know, like, if you could help us because the bylaws of that specific church I was going to had a clause saying, if you're gay, you can't work with kids. And it was right next to a question about, it was right next to a question about, um, are you a pedophile? Like if you filled out a form to work at the church. So it, clearly the church had this bias against homosexuality and was being really discriminatory about it. <sighs> Holy crap, that's messed up. Even though Rob was not sure of his own sexuality at the time, he knew he had to do something. So he stood up against this gross injustice and tried to make a difference. You know, I had filled out those forms like six years before, and I never even like thought about it at the time. And so I actually brought it up with my boss and was like, hey, did you realize that? And I actually, you know, I had a couple volunteers um, that worked for me and, and worked with the kids who had also had relatives who were gay and were very supportive of their relatives. So I brought this up to my boss at the church and was like, do you realize how discriminatory and like wrong this is? You know, like the whole point of Christianity is to love, right? So like, why are we discriminating against people in this way? I actually got the bylaws of the church changed in that moment. And I, and, and I hadn't even dealt with my own internal identity yet, but that kind of opened the door for me. Making change is not easy, but he stood up and did what he felt was right, and he made that difference, which happens to be something he's going to continue to do as we move through his story. While this metaphorical door for getting out of the closet was now open for Rob, he wasn't sure how to step out. He started with the first step, which was to break up with his current girlfriend because he knew that that just wasn't for him, and it also wasn't going to be fair for her. But the biggest issue for him was trying to find a way to hold on to his religion while also being open. So he turned to his friends for help. I started going to these like sessions with them where we would like explore people who were queer, but also religious. And that was kind of the first step for me was accepting that everything I had been taught could coexist with homosexuality. And then, you know, all this time I had simultaneously been going to these photography meetups where I was meeting queer artists. Like it was the first time in my life where I actually had community starting to develop 
with people who identified similarly. And so I took this portrait of, of, of a gay couple and I posted it to my Flickr at the time, which is, this was like before Instagram even existed or like maybe right, right when Instagram launched. And um, so I had like 30,000 followers on Flickr, like super niche, but like such a big community there. Well, everyone knew about Rob's photography. And of course, around the church, word gets around fast. So I'm sure you can guess what happens next. And so I posted this photo of a gay couple and my boss at the church contacted me and was like, hey, this isn't okay. You have to take that that photo down. And at this point, I had already been exploring my own identity for about eight months now. um, And I was starting to feel like, I think I'm gay. I think I'm, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm that I'm not like what all these religious folks in my life want me to be. And so I had this crisis moment where I was like, I can't delete the photo. Like that would be going against my friends who I've just spent the last three years getting to know through all these photography meetups. And it would be a betrayal to myself because I don't think I'm straight. (laughs) It was like this, it was like this big crisis moment for me. It sounds small, but it was like this big, big deal. No, it's not a small thing. It's a huge thing. In this life, we have to stand up for what we believe in because if we don't, we stand for nothing. So what do you, the listener, think Rob did? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He found a loophole. And so I called up my friends who I had been meeting with for the last eight months. And I was like, meet me at Denny's. I need to talk to you. I don't know what to do. And so my friend He's still one of my best friends. Like every time I go back to Michigan, I stay with with, with this with them now. They're they're now married and have two kids. I think they have a third kid on the way. And we go to Denny's and he's like, he's like, I think I have the perfect solution for you. I was like crying my ass out because I was like, this is like I'm I might lose my job over this, but I can't go against myself. And so he's like, Why don't you change the caption of the show? to something that talks about loving everybody equally. And it'll be a slap in the face to whoever reported you for posting this photo of two people in love. And so I did that and I called my boss back and left him a message and was like, hey, this is my solution, take it or leave it, but I'm not deleting the photo. He called me the next morning and was like, that works for me. He was like, I was actually on your side, but people higher up than me were telling me that this was like a problem for the image of the church or whatever. And I was like, cool, well, I'm not taking it down and I'm glad that that I can keep my job or whatever. If my math is correct, which I'm pretty sure it is, then that's two wins for Rob so far. But it was very soon after this that Rob's need to come out would reach its peak and he would finally make that step through that daunting doorway. I ended up going to the foster camp the next day, um, which is, was always a very intense emotional experience because you're basically like a temporary parent to two kids for a week straight. And there's a there's a lot of emotional baggage. And then at the end of the week, those kids are like, it's like heartbreaking the moment you have to say goodbye to them. And so anyways, I go through this really emotional week. I come home the next weekend and my best friend had arranged for us to have dinner with a gay couple. And I think she kind of knew what was going on, but like, didn't tell me. (laughs) She knew that I was like struggling and stuff and needed some, you know, community and whatever. So I had this amazing night, like getting to know these guys. And literally the next day, 
I broke down and I, I called my best friend and I was like, we need to meet up. And I came out to her and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done hiding who I am. And, you know, when I make choices in life, I commit 100%. You know, I've told my friends a million times, like, the only reason I got to where I am as an artist is because I've jumped off a lot of cliffs. So when it came to my identity, I was like, I'm jumping off this ledge. There's no going back. Like, I'm gay. This is who I am. I've always felt this way. So I came out to her. I put in my notice at the church. And so I quit. About two months later, I was already dating a guy, but kind of like secretly, like I, I wasn't telling anybody at the church yet. Um, and then I literally spent that two months like uh, writing everyone I knew in the photography industry. And I ended up booking a, a workshop tour the next winter, like a couple, a few months later. Um, and I, I taught photography workshops in Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit, New York City. And it worked out. Whoa, you really did take a leap. I mean, coming out has to be one of the most scary things you can do. But it also is scary to be an entrepreneur, to leave behind these secure jobs and steady paychecks. And Rob ended up doing both of these things at the exact same time. I don't know about you, but I would feel like a complete mess. We have now entered Act 3 of our show, and within Act 3, we will follow Rob through the next 10 years of his life, through the highs and the lows, and discover how he found success by staying true to himself. Right before that big leap, Rob had built up quite the online following and had made a lot of close friends within the art world. Soon, they all wanted to meet up in person. Eventually, we started doing photo meetups. So between the ages of like 20 and 23, we started to have these, we, we had these group chats online and, and people kept throwing around the idea of like, we should meet in person, we should meet in person. And I remember our friend Ethan, um, in this big photo community that we had created online, he invited us all to come to a photo meetup in Indiana. And this must have been, I want to say like in 2012, maybe, maybe. Um, so almost 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, and so we go to this farm and there's about 30 of us. We all drive in from different parts of the United States. Uh, a few people flew in from California and Oregon and, and a couple other states. And we end up camping on this, on this guy's farm for a week and just making art together. And it was this thing that I had never experienced before. And I feel like the level to which we connected and the way that we chose to create these meetups, I don't think things like that have happened very often. Sure, there's been like Insta meets where you go for a day and there's a hundred people, you know, shooting the same things. But this was like, it was like a camp for photographers. It was so cool. And we decided to keep this going for every six months. So for about three years, every six months, someone different would host the meetups. I remember one time our friend in, in Los Angeles hosted and all of us were like sleeping on the floors of his house, like and camping in his backyard. Like we were so obsessed with this idea of meeting and creating and we had never experienced something like this. None of us. It was like the most transformational time of my life. I remember realizing like, I have a community and I, there's people like me all over the world who just want to create. 
because of this online following and that tight group of artists, Rob was able to leverage it into a very clever way to make a living. So when I when I made that decision to come out and to leave the church and to leave all my part-time jobs, I had that foundation, you know? Like I had spent I'd spent, you know, 4 years getting to know this big community, and that's really what made my transition from, you know, working in the system to being self-employed possible. It was the fact that I had I had created a community and I had that support. And so I I started doing these um, workshop tours around North America. And the first one that I, the first one that I did in all those U S cities, it was all through my connections from that photography community. So it would be my friends who had a gallery in this city or a lot of photographer friends in this city. And those were the people who would pay and sign up for my classes. Rob then got some help with the financial side of things when he got some sponsors on board. Um, and from there. I started writing to big photography companies asking for sponsorship. And I basically told them, like, listen, I have 30,000 fans on Flickr. And I have, at that time, I think I had about 10,000 followers on Facebook. Um, and so I was like, I have all these people that are an accessible audience. They're all focused on photography. Will you fund me? to go do a tour and teach people and I'll, you know, talk about your company or I'll place your product in the workshop. And that worked for about five years. It, 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 it grew a lot of momentum, actually. Like um, the first year it was quite humble, but from there we ended up getting like a $30,000 grant and then it was $50,000. And, you know, we would invest, I, it, I say we, because I started to do these tours with friends and we would invest all the money in the tour. Like we would want it to be the best experience for our students. And also we were like traveling the world. So we wanted to spend quality time, especially when we went to different countries, we wanted to spend quality time getting to like see the culture and, and see the, the landscapes and, and the places. So that was how I entered photography. I had a big drive. I had an amazing community to sort of help start it all. And I just put everything I had into it. And it really just like worked. I, I don't know how else to put it, but you know, the, the effort that we put in paid off. I never could have imagined it would go that way, but that's what happened. While that's all incredible, it wasn't perfect. Rob is just like you and me, and he had moments of doubt. There's always moments where I doubt. Um, but I do think it's, it's like human nature to question like your reality. I think it's human nature to consistently question like, wait, why am I here? What am I doing? <laughs> you know? And so there's been many moments where, especially in my 20s, you know, like when I was still like building the vision, when I was still trying to become known and respected as an artist, there were so many moments where I was like, I think, you know, the day job would be easier. I do think I had, I had a couple of friends who worked at Whole Foods and Whole Foods is like healthy food. They have good benefits. You can work your way up the ladder. And I, I was like, I had all these doubts because I was like, I didn't go to school for something other than photography. So now if photography doesn't work out, like what am I going to do? Because a lot of, you know, jobs where you can make a reasonable living, you know, especially in a, in a U in the U S mentality, 
like what is there like what other option is there so I, I would see my friends who worked at whole foods and they had like really good benefits and photography doesn't work out i'm gonna get a job at whole foods and i'm gonna work my way up that ladder and and do that but through all these doubts and even times of being broke as hell rob stuck to that dream it was really difficult for a lot of that time like i i didn't have a, i was poor let's just put it that way i was very poor like my whole 20s i could not afford anything beyond my immediate needs and, you know, the the few things that I needed to, to keep propelling my photography. But I just knew that if I was doing anything else, I wouldn't be happy. And I wouldn't, I would always wonder what if, what if I had just tried? And, you know, another thing that I think was really important for me to hear at a young age was that even in, even in like, more easy businesses like restaurants or, you know, consulting businesses or hair salons or things that are a little more practical, right? In within society standards, most young businesses take, you know, four to five years to ever see a profit. So for me as an artist, I was always like, well, if it's that hard for everybody, like I might as well try as an artist. Like there's no difference for me. Like it's, I, I shouldn't get discouraged by a few years of like not making a profit, right? I think all of those things combined really pushed me to just stay with it and just to hope that after so much commitment, I would build enough momentum and reputation that people would finally see like, nope, Rob is an artist. This is what we go to Rob for. This is like why we invest in Rob. And that's what happened. I mean, it took a lot of dedication and a lot of patience and a lot of just trusting in myself, but um, it was worth it. And, you know, when people ask me like what my advice is, it's that it's to stay committed to your vision because you just never know how it's going to pay off, but it, but it does. Now, all these years later, Rob has built that dream. He is making a living as an artist and doing so making the art he wants to create. For him, it was always important to build his own style in this world through photography. And if you go take a look at his Instagram or his website, look at his art, you will know that he has most definitely achieved that dream. I was 19 when I started going to school for photography. So that was when like kind of the full time, like I'm, good, I'm aiming to be a photographer started. And I very quickly started learning about you know, people like Tim Walker, Annie Leibovitz, um, Richard Avedon, you know, these big, famous photographers who created stories with their work. They created, they used a lot of surrealism and set design and kind of elevated beyond just, you know, a simple portrait or a landscape photo, right? They created their own worlds. And that's what gave me the desire to do that for myself. And that was quite early on. I mean, I, I'm really glad I had that that photo history class in my first year of college because it showed me the scope of like what you could do as a photographer. Rob is now dreaming even bigger. He was constantly being told he had a style that could translate to film, you know, a movie. And before long, he secured funding to create his very first short film and is now working on his first feature length film. But the goal isn't just to make films that he likes. It's to impact change in the world. There's just a lot of things in this world that I think could use that sort of positive interaction. Talking about climate change, talking about human rights issues, there's still a lot of work to be done. And the only way that those 
things are going to change is if individuals step up and contribute their energy towards that change. So for me, it's really important that I spend the rest of my life working towards that, you know, like trying to be on the team of people that's making this world a better place. And right now, specifically, I'm working on my next film. It's going to be my first feature film. And it's going to blend my style of art with documentary to celebrate and tell the stories of frontlines communities that are actually impacting change for the better with the climate um, and actually finding solutions that could really shift the narrative of that whole subject. So I'm really, really excited to, to be working on that right now. When I say that I left a lot of great content on the cutting room floor, I mean it. Rob had so many great moments of motivation in this interview that it pains me to have to leave any of it out. Rob's story is not just one of big dreams, but a story about being true to oneself and standing up for what you believe in and never backing down. If you're ever having those doubts or if people are trying to break down your dreams, stand up. Don't let go of those dreams. Find a way to make it happen. Before anyone else will believe in you, you need to believe in yourself and be okay with the fact that it might take 10 plus years before anyone else ever does finally see your dream. Thanks for listening to another episode of this podcast. I appreciate every single one of you that listens, that subscribes, that, that everything. If you enjoy this show, please tell everyone you know about it so I can continue to interview these artists and share these powerful and motivating stories with all of you. And of course, happy holidays, and I will see you in the new year. I'm super excited for 2024. I hope all of you are excited as well, and I invite you to come along with me on this journey and hopefully see the dream that I see. Thank you.